As we continue our survey through the book of John, we find ourselves in our mini-series, Can a True Believer Ever Be Lost? Join us. Truth for Today is coming up next. Hi there and welcome. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Welcome to the broadcast. Our time together today will take us back to the book of John. Can a true believer ever be lost? Really, at the end of the day, it's eternal security that we're looking at. John chapter 10, verses 28 through 29 is where we're at. And we'll also spend some time in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. It's all straight ahead here on today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Please join us. Here now is Pastor Phil Howard with today's program. As I became fallen and imputed with sin by one man, so by the act of another man, I've been declared righteous. I've been declared forgiven. He must be alive. Or you're going to hell. And all this religion stuff is the world's biggest fraud. Get your money back. Run as fast as you can. But friend, you can't find him anywhere. Go all over Palestine as long as you want. They can't find the bones of Jesus. Because he's alive and well in the third heaven. He's alive and well. Well... Uh, it's not only our security anchored in his death and his resurrection. Uh, I feel secure because he is my high priest and he makes intercession for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 to just see where Christ is now. He's talking about uh, the priesthood. The Levitical priesthood passed away and uh, because the priest kept dying and it was part of the old covenant and it faded. But he says now in verse 24 of Hebrews, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. We have someone in the very throne room of God, and part of his mission there is he represents you and I before the Father. He's appearing. He's appearing there right now. And then you go back to chapter 7. Chapter 7. Turn the page. I hear nothing. And if you have tech, I don't even want to see it. No unclean thing should be in the house of God. Verse 25 talks about, verse 23 says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Watch. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. This word able is never used in the book of Hebrews with any possibility of failure. It's absolute. When he says he's able, 
He said in chapter 5, verse 9, Christ in Gethsemane prayed to him who is able to deliver. The word able means you can count on it being done. It's a sure word. And he is able to save to the uttermost. Now, there's two common translations for uttermost. Two different ideas. One means he will save eternally. Forever. And you'll see uh, margins in your Bible, different translations. He is able to save forever because he has a priesthood that is eternal. And he's representing you so he can save you forever. That's one, one idea. Another way it's taken is he can save you completely. And the word completely there means in every realm, in, in every part, in every sphere of your being, he can save you completely. And Peter O'Brien combines both. He says, I think the idea is both. He will save you completely forever. Those who draw near to God through him. And how is it he can do this? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Turn back. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. And after Paul does all this magnificent uh, description of our salvation... In chapters 3 through 8. It comes to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? Now you know that has to be. Who can prevail against us? Because honey. There's a lot that can be against you. And he's going to name it. At the end of the chapter. Tribulation. Trials. Angels, spirit being. There's a lot. That, but the idea, what can prevail against you? Who can come against you and win their case if God is for you? That's, that's what he's saying. Then he goes on. God's going to give his reasons why nobody's going to succeed. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Um, the prayer ministry of Christ and his ongoing intercession to the Father on the basis of his cross work, his death for you is part of the ongoing keeping, delivering, preserving you from all the foibles, temptations, failings, weaknesses. He said in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4, our high priest sympathizes with our weakness. He knows about our temptations. And he's a high priest that falls in with us. And he takes to the Father. And he prays for him. You see, Christ was a real man. Though God, he was real man. And he was tempted in every point like, like us. Sometimes that's hard for me to understand. Because he was never married. 
Lord, you don't know what it's like to be married to this woman. Some way, he says, I understand, you know. Uh, you don't understand this issue. Uh, you don't know what the battle with uh, sexual purity is for a teenager. You never lived in America with all this tech that you can see pornography with the touch of one button. Jesus, you never lived in the tech age. I was tempted in all points. In every realm that a human being could be tempted, I was tempted to the superlative degree. So, I don't sit as a obscure, stoical God at the right hand of the Father and say, the Father says, I've never been tempted sexually. I'm a spirit being, don't have a body anyway. I don't even know what that would even feel like. God the Son says, I know, Father. I was a man, a normal man. I went through puberty. I went through adulthood. I, I know something about the struggles of humanity. He could ask. Can, can he represent a woman? You were never a woman, Jesus. He said, in every realm, I have the ability to sympathize with everything my people will ever experience. Male, female, young, old, every season of life. And I intercede to the Father and ask him for what my people need. <clears throat> Have you ever failed him miserably? That uh, you, you made all kinds of vows, all kinds of promises. Uh, youth camps are known for that. You promise him everything up there in the woods. We could always live it when I was a kid. We could live it as long as there was youth camp. It's going back to school that was tough. There's where you had to take the stand. There it got a little lonely. Then I wasn't sharing the tent with Jim and some of my other buddies. Then you had to really stand. But there's a man who said, uh, Lord, out of all these guys competing to be first, I want to tell you this much. I want to go with you all the way to the cross. <clears throat> said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Satan has already came and talked to me and he's asked to take you and sift you as wheat. And he wants to take all the good out of you and leave the chaff to me. He's got a plan to destroy you. He's requested it, Peter. He requested to kill Job, and I wouldn't let him. He requested to strip Job, and I let him kill his children, take all of his earthly possessions. The only thing I didn't take was the thing Job would have kind of at times been glad to get rid of. I'll leave it right there. A doubting, gainsaying wife. Curse God and die. But I, I told the devil how far he can go. Did you know what? No trial will ever come to you that has not first of all been measured by Christ as to its weight, as to its duration. Because he said, I promise my people I will never let more come on them than they're able to bear. And I was skim off too much, too much. So that Spurgeon said, 
Had I not known the cup of suffering that I was asked to drink was not filled by nail-pierced hands, I could scarcely have borne it. Nothing comes into the life of a believer that doesn't first go through God. And Jesus says, I'm going to pray for you, Peter, and it's going to be the only reason you don't thoroughly wash out. You're going to fail miserably. But when you're recovered, you'll never again boast of human strength. You'll boast of an intercessing Savior that said, I prayed for you on the night of betrayal. Christ is the one that has delivered you of a thousand temptations and setups and minds that you never did even know about. Because he was praying to the Father. They can't bear this much. They can't withstand that. And he delivered, delivered, delivered. And he will do it from earth to glory. I can count on his prayer ministry. <laughs> Finally, let's turn to 1 John. I have about seven minutes. I'll be over time. But since I know the music director and... The children's director, that's the one you got to really pray for. You went over too long. 1 John 1.8. We rest in the advocacy ministry of Christ. And I must move. Um, that uh, not only his praying for us, but he says he will be our advocate here. And uh, let us... See what he says, the problem that he's dealing with. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, no sin principle within, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he clearly says believers, though saved, still have indwelling sin to deal with. It's still there like a guerrilla fighter that even though the new king has been installed, He's still conducting guerrilla warfare in your life to, to give havoc. So he said, Christian, don't say you're sinless. Because we do have to deal with sin in our lives, even as believers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful, wonderful promise that when you do sin, it doesn't unsave you. It makes you in need of confession. Tell Christ and he'll forgive you. He said, I'll be faithful to do it. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned in the past with re abiding results, we are making him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you not even sin once. I don't want you to sin even once. But if anyone does sin, we have an accuser before the Father. You do have an accuser, but it's not Jesus. Satan is the accuser, the brethren. And he knows everything about you that God doesn't like. And he reminds God, how can you call them a son when they've got these many flaws? But we have a parakletos. It's used of the Holy Spirit. He's called the comforter. 
parakaleo, one called alongside to give aid. But when it became a noun, parakletas, it was used of a defense lawyer. It was the common usage. Uh, a defender of the accused before the judge. At, right out of the Greek lexicon. It's there. We're not making this up. Um, let me see if I can say any more on that. Uh, it just uh, any more exacting. Uh, one, let me give you a, a lexical def One who pleads another cause before a judge. A pleader. A counsel for the defense. A legal assistant who can present a case before the judge why his client should be able to go free. And Christ has been appointed as the legal defender of the children of God. And when does this office go into motion? It's when the child of God sins. It's when they sin that he acts as the defender. And he meets up, if you read Zechariah 3 and Revelation uh, he said, Revelation 12, 9, and 10, Satan will be cast down from the heavens, be cast to the earth, that accuser of the brethren. So the accusations may fly, since Satan still has access to God's throne and can go up and make accusations. And so when we sin, now notice, it's while we're sinning, Christ is pleading before the Father, and this is not what he pleads. Hear me. Imagine. Father, they didn't mean it. Oh, yes, we did. Sin is never accidental. I, I, I grew up with that song, Lord, if I've committed any sin today, honey, if you did it, you'll know it. Just, you know, it's a blanket. of blanket. If I've hurt anybody today, well, you know those three people in the parking lot that you ran over? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they know. Get out of here. You know when you sin. You know. Because sin is a volitional choice to disobey God. You know it. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. So sin isn't... Well, did I do something? No, you know. You know. You can't confess something you don't know. Lord, I want to confess. I blow it all the time. Well, that's true. But what else? Well, I... Well, Lord, you know I blow it all the time. Would you say that you told your wife off? Would you say that uh, you cussed the cat? Would you say that uh, you nearly ran over your child in the, you know, driveway? Things like this. Name it. You can't name what's ambiguous. So you know it. And so Christ isn't saying, oh, Father, forgive them for th they didn't know what they were doing. Oh, yes, we did. We're guilty. He's not defending the innocent here. He's defending the guilty. Got weak. He didn't say, well, well Father, my children never sin. They only make mistakes. Well, that's a favorite one. Lord, forgive me for this mistake. What? Your children? What? Your wife? What? Oh, my parents? No, what? 
Not mistakes, sin. If you're smoking weed, say, God, I'm smoking weed. If you're seeing porno, forgive me. I'm seeing naked women. I have no business doing it. I'm lusting after women. Name it. Quit being so uh, ambiguous that God sees it anyway, friend. You're naked before him. You think you're covering up, hiding out. You don't know. They've already x-rayed you. They put it on display in the third heaven. Everything you're sneaking around, they say that secret sin below is open scandal in heaven. What you do in the closet, the Father and the Son are discussing before them. Why did he do that? You can never grow with God until you quit playing hide and seek and you go clean. You're guilty when you're guilty and you tell him, I'm wrong. That's the great thing David did when Nathan went. He said, I have sinned. He didn't say, kill the messenger, kill the prophet that exposed the king. Who do you think you are telling me I'm in sin? I'm the king. No, God broke his heart and he said, before you, O oh God, I killed Uriah and I took Bathsheba to bed. I'm wrong. I seldom see people repent. I see a lot of cover-up. And as long as you cover up, and as long as you make it broad, you will never get well. You'll always have that root. You won't let God scour it out. You've got to say, I want to get before God. Take out this root of bitterness. Take out this lusting spirit. Take it out, O oh Lord. Search me, and I lay it before you. I'm tired of blaming. I'm tired of just making excuses. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my mother or my brother or my sister, Lord. It's me. So many liars in the church. And they're hypocritical to the core. Because they won't come clean with their kids, their wife, their associates. I'm blowing it. I've been sinning against God and you. I want your forgiveness. There's nothing like being forgiven. But you've got to start with admitting you're wrong. And Christ does not say, Father, forgive them because you know the background they came from. Anybody with a set of parents like them ought to act this way. He didn't do that one either. No. What he pleads is what he did on the cross propitiated the Father. I plead to you only the merits of my death in their place. And... You said it satisfied all legal warrants for their arrest. I don't make a plea bargain, Lord. I'm not a crooked lawyer at the courthouse making a plea bargain. If you'll cooperate, we'll knock off five years of the sentence. Father, I paid in full for everything they would ever do wrong. I'm claiming it now as I plead for them. Father, Father, keep my child. This is what I died for. I didn't die for their virtues. I died for their sins. That is what I am guaranteed. That when I blow it, when I am ashamed, and when I'm wreathing uh, in my guilt, I have one there pleading his crossword. Life forever in Jesus Christ. 
That's the title of our series here in the book of John. And we trust our time together today has encouraged you in Christ as we work our way through this wonderful gospel. It is our hope and prayer that chapter 20 and verse 31 will come to bear on your own heart and mind, that you understand why John wrote what he wrote for the purpose of believing and having life eternal in Christ. To review a copy of today's program or to obtain the entire series, we would ask you to get in touch with us here at Truth For Today, and there are a couple of ways to do so. You can call us at 855-833-9864, or you can stop by our website, valleybible.org, and take advantage of the resource materials that we have posted there as well. You're also welcome to write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, the zip code 94547. And as always, your gifts make a great difference here at the ministry. No matter how large or how small, your financial contributions to this ministry allow us to continue presenting the gospel here on KFAX. As a TFT sustainer, we would also like to pass along your way a quarterly newsletter along with our once-a-year special gift and access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional that we have. Again, these are all just simple ways of saying thank you for supporting us financially, realizing that this broadcast is presented daily here on KFAX through your financial involvement as well as your prayerful support. One other note, as we close out our time together today, we would like to invite you to join us for worship here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. You can find out all of the details and directions at our website, valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. We thank you for spending time with us today. As always, it is a pleasure to share God's Word with you. And we look forward to the next time when we can do it again here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Pastor Phil Howard.